about that? What do we do with that information? Well, thankfully, uh, Jesus talks about that. So we can go right to his words. So if you would, turn with me to Matthew 28. It's the last chapter in the book of Matthew. Uh, Jesus has a little bit of context while you guys are turning there. Jesus has uh, already risen from the grave, uh, and he uh, has since uh, gone out. Um, The guards have uh, noticed that he's gone, um, and the disciples have come to meet with him. So we're going to be in verses 16 through 20 today. So I'll read starting in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." Let's pray real quick. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for all that you have given us. Thank you for getting up out of that grave. As I speak this morning, as I speak about your word, Lord, I ask that you would uh, fill me with wisdom and the right words to say, that anything that I say that is not correct would be entirely forgotten, uh, and that anything that is true would be held on to dearly, uh, that your word would be held high and that you would be glorified. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and for his kingdom. Amen. All right. So, let's start off in verse 16. So the disciples, they show up. They they come to meet with Jesus. And it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And to me, I, I think, like, what do you mean some doubted? Like, you watched him die three days ago, and he's right in front of you. Like, how do you, how do you miss that? But then I also remember all the times where I've totally missed what God is doing. So maybe we can cut him a little bit of slack. But Jesus comes to them and says something really big here, huge here. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is a big statement to make. He is God, and it's not as if he didn't already have that authority, but he is over all things. Colossians 1 uh, talks about, in verses 15 through 23, talks about how Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is over all creation. He created everything, and everything was created for him, including governments, thrones, powers, authorities, all of it. All of it in creation is his and for him, that he is the head of the church. So he's over uh, the body of God as well, the the people of God as well, that he created everything. all of them as well. He is listed as the firstborn among the dead. And that firstborn is not a like, uh, oh, like you were the oldest kid kind of uh, firstborn. I'm talking about a rank here. He is the king over all of the dead as well and those who have been resurrected, that he is supreme over all things, over everybody who's alive, everybody who's dead, everybody who's been resurrected, over all things that have been made, over all social structures and authority hierarchies, all of it. He is over everything, and this is what he says. So the disciples are here, they're, they're listening, and here is, all right, all authority on heaven and on earth. So whatever he's going to say must happen because he has control over all of it. And there's no way that it couldn't happen because he already has control over everything. So what does he say? He says, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So we know that this must come to pass, and we start with making disciples. And this is why we send missionaries. 
This is why we send people to other nations to go and share the gospel, to go and tell of what God has done, of what Christ has done to save us from our own sin when we could not. This is why people spend their entire lives translating the Bible into a single language from Hebrew or Greek into sometimes languages that don't even have a written language and they have to write a language with those people to be able to write out the Bible. This is why we see this mission happening still today. 2,000 years later, this mission is still ongoing. In fact, it's still ongoing here in North America, in the United States. This mission that started 2,000 years ago in this tiny little nation in the Middle East is still ongoing here in Fairfax County. There are still people to be saved. And while two years of uh, avoiding social contact, especially with people that we don't know, has maybe ground away our edge a little bit for this. This is still our calling to go and to make disciples, to go and share what God has done. And then he says to baptize them. Have you guys ever wondered why we baptize people? Because like, like, we're like, sweet, you're a believer, like you're saved by faith alone, we're going to dunk you in some water now, like here you go. Because baptism doesn't save but what do, we, what do we do with that? Like we see, we've seen here before, like someone will go to be baptized and we, you know, cart them up through the little back hallway there and they get the little, the little robe thing and we get them in the tub there and Pastor Eric, you know, baptizes them and says, you know, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and dunks them and pulls them right back up. Why do we, why do, we do that? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, Paul talks about in Romans th- uh, 6, sorry, Romans 6, not 3, um, that this is deeply expressive and symbolic of our unity with Christ. That, uh, one, it's expressive of our faith to say, like, I am a believer in Christ. This is where I stand. But there's also a very real symbolism here. In that day, large bodies of water, like lakes or seas, were considered the gates of death. Because there's nothing there but death for you. There's, it's water. It's deep. You can't swim. And if you can swim, you can still be too far out. And so that's dangerous to be in a body of water like this. And so to be submerged there is very symbolic of going into the grave, just like Christ did, and being raised up. Again, being symbolic of us being raised with Christ. And Paul talks about that if we have died a death like his, how will we not also have a resurrection like his? So we baptize as this symbolism of our unity with Christ, but why do we baptize in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit? Do you guys ever think about like why we pray like in the name of Jesus? Amen? Because like that's kind of a strange phrase to our ears these days. Like, in the name of Jesus, amen. What, is, what does that mean to do something in the name of Jesus? Um, we see some other uh, ways that this is used uh, in modern culture, saying like, if you're arresting someone in the name of the law or whatever, like with, with that authority, with that push there. So we can see here that we are baptizing in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. We are baptizing with authority given from God, but also for God's purposes, this has actually changed how I pray now that when I, when I pray, uh, I'll focus on that and say like, hey, like in the name of Jesus and for his kingdom, because that's really what we're doing. We're praying in the name of Jesus, but whatever we're praying at its base goal, whether that's for healing for someone or for anything else, is that God would be glorified, that we would see his glory in that in someone being healed or a financial situation being uh, fixed or a relationship being repaired or whatever that is, that we would see God's glory, which is 
the goal of his kingdom. So we baptize as an expression of faith, as a symbol of our unity with Christ, and because he called us to, because he told us to. He gives us that authority. And the last one that we come to is to teach them to obey. So we've gone through, hey, make disciples everywhere you go and baptize them, bring them into the faith. Teach them to obey all that Christ taught. We are to teach and train everything that Jesus commanded, to teach uh, the gospel, to teach God's word, to teach righteousness and running from sin and seeking the Lord. As, uh, As Mark Dever puts it, the act of discipling others is to help other people follow Jesus. That is a really cool way to put that, because that's what it is. You're discipling others, you're, you're walking with them as they walk towards Christ. But this goes both ways, because you are also being discipled. You are not only someone who is discipling someone else, but you are also being discipled. And I've said this many times to my students, and some of you have heard this before, but uh, I'm going to say it again to all of you. If you don't have someone who's discipling you, go change that. Whether you are young or not as young, whether you have, this is your first time at church and hearing about Jesus, or you've been praising God on this little ball of dirt for a long time, go be discipled by someone. Find a mature believer to walk with you, and then go and walk with someone else as well. Some of you might be wondering, hmm, that's kind of a lot. I'm not good with words. I don't really know a whole lot about this. That's fine. Go walk. Go learn. Walk with someone as someone is walking with you. That's all that we're all doing. Everyone in every step is learning more about Christ. And we end up in this last part here that says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we have these bookends of uh, total power and authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. And I will be with you until the end of the age. And we look back to what we talked about last time I was up here with Psalm 139, that he is always with us. He always sees us. There is nowhere to run or hide where God does not know every part of you. He is with us always, and he has all this power. So you must succeed because he's told you to do this. Some of you might be wondering, well, but what about that time like three years ago when I shared the gospel with somebody and they didn't immediately become a Christian? What about that time when I talked with a coworker or a classmate about Jesus and they actually got mad at me about it? Like, that doesn't seem like succeeding. So, like, Riley, you're saying, like, we're going to succeed because Christ has all this control, but, like, what about this time or that time? And to that I say, uh, in many ways, we are farmers in faith. Some of us are planting seeds and some of us are watering seeds. And some of us get to see the fruit of that. But in the end of the day, we don't always get to see all of those steps. Sometimes you will get to share the gospel with someone and they will laugh at you. And they will uh, just totally blow you off and want nothing to do with you and continue on. But you've planted a seed. Sometimes you're going to be talking and sharing with somebody who's already, maybe there's a couple of seeds there. And you're starting to water those. Sometimes You're going to get to see that moment when someone comes to Christ and it's beautiful and amazing and you get to see the fruit there. But the point is, you don't make the plant grow. All that you can do is plant seeds and water and pull up weeds. God is the one who makes the plant grow. And so in that same way, as we share, we aren't making people be saved. 
we're simply planting seeds. And God makes that grow. There's always success in that. So, what do we do in a world that needs Jesus? We go. We go and we make disciples. And some of you might be thinking, that sounds really difficult. You don't know my neighbors. They're kind of weird. My coworkers, this is not exactly a work environment where I can just go and like talk about Jesus. My school, I don't know, man. Like, I'm already not super high on the social hierarchy at school on the popular list, so like, I don't want to rock the boat. Some of you might be thinking, man, I, I can't do that. I'm not worthy of that. Do you know the sinner that I am? I can't do that. To that I say, you're right. It is hard. Sometimes that's going to make life a little more difficult. And yet, he has called you. He's called you specifically. As we read earlier, while we were sinners, Christ died to save us. It wasn't after we'd all like prettied ourselves up and like, you know, cleaned up a little bit. While we were still sinners, he died for us. So even while we still wrestle and seek to chase after holiness and still sometimes fall, we are still called. So I ask you this, is it worth it? Or moreover, is he worth it? Is he worthy of this? So I ask you to take a moment as we pray, and as the worship team comes back up, to think about this. Hmm. All right, come on up, guys. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for giving us a calling, for saving us and then directing us where to go. Thank you for having all control so that we know that we cannot fail. We know that your purposes will come to fruition. All we have to do is go and plant seeds. So Lord, bring us to go and make disciples of all nations. Teach us. Teach us to baptize. Teach us to be able to teach and train others. Give us the guts to go and talk to those people around us that we're not sure of. Give us the courage to take those opportunities and to see them and to go and make disciples and bring others to you. Bring us to always remember that you are always with us till the end of the age. In Jesus' name and for his kingdom, amen.